well-bound sports. Quench your sports thirst. Articles, live shows, and podcasts. Visit 12ozsportsradio.com. 12-Ounce Sports is your home for the best live talk shows, sports broadcasts, podcasts, and sports articles. You know you can catch 12-Ounce Sports live on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, but now you can also watch live on Zingo TV. That's right, Zingo TV has added 12-Ounce Sports to their long list of channels. And now if you're on your smart TV, just download the app and flip to channel 761 to catch all the live 12-ounce sports programming plus replays. All you got to do is download Zingo TV and use the promo code 120Z when signing up. It's that simple. Be sure to check out our latest blogs and podcasts as well at 120ZSportsRadio.com. It's 12 Ounce Sports, now live on Zingo TV, channel 761. It's episode 166 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and our special guest is Kevin O'Boyle. Kevin is the managing editor of the Brookville Star in Western Montgomery County, a sports broadcaster with a plethora of experience and an official scorer and stringer for the Dayton Dragons. We're talking local sports from a New York native's perspective on episode 166. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly podcast covering all sports in Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. From Lima to the Ohio River and northern Kentucky, from eastern Indiana to Madison County and all points in between, this is your source of local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports. Visit the LeeWMallon.com slash podcasts to find your favorite podcasting platform. Music created with the Splash app. Time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. Back again with a new episode. It's episode 166 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast, and I'm joined by my co-worker at the Dayton Dragons and good friend, Kevin O'Boyle. Kevin, great to hear from you. And as you mentioned before the call began, it'd be nice if we were working at Day Air Ballpark. I still can't get used to Day Air Ballpark yet, but yeah, we would have worked the 2020 baseball season together, but... Yeah, it would have been nice, but unfortunately, uh, you know, things have come up that we can't do that. But uh, looking very much forward to the day when we can be back working there again, Lee. Here's hoping for 2021. It doesn't look like we'll have any minor league baseball for this year, but it looks like Major League Baseball is on its way with spring training in summer. Starting July 1st and late July, we'll have a first of 60 games so definitely looking forward to that but let's begin the interview kevin where are you from well i'm from the beautiful upstate new york community of binghamton new york which is right along the new york pennsylvania border on interstate 81 but i've been in ohio now since 1987 and how did you come to 
make your way to Ohio from upstate New York? Well, my sister married a gentleman from Kettering, and they located uh, here in the Dayton area after they got married. And I really did fall in love with this community, coming out to visit her. And and, in the late summer of 87, I made the decision to relocate, and I've not regretted it one bit. Kevin, when did you decide you wanted to be a sports writer and a broadcaster? Well, um, (laughs) when I first entered high school way back in 1976, yes, I am quite old. (laughs) I had thoughts of being an architect and took, you know, some drafting classes and whatnot in high school. But uh, the math involved with that kind of uh, deterred me from doing that. But my dad was a big sports fan, um, loved football, um, et cetera. We you know, always went to um, Yankee Stadium every summer for games, would watch you know, Yankee games on TV, NFL games, college, you name it. And I really liked the way that Kurt Gowdy, former broadcaster on NBC did the NFL, the game of the week on NBC for baseball. I really enjoyed the way he broadcast games. And, you know, like some people say their sports hero or, you know, Mickey Mantle or Derek Jeter or whatever. My sports hero was Kurt Gowdy. And when I realized that uh, being an architect was probably not going to be in my future, I then set my sights on becoming a sports announcer. What was your first big break in either field? Um, first big break, I was a was junior in high school at Binghamton Central High School, and we had a club. It was called the Audio Visual Club, and one of the things they did were um, tape the boys basketball games. Now that was used by the basketball coach to review that previous game, etc. much like, you know, game film used for, for sports. But I asked the uh, advisor for that group, if they ever thought of, um, you know, having someone broadcast the game while they were taping it. And I got to do the very first boys game of my junior year. That was, uh, Way back in uh, 1978, December, early December 1978, and uh, did that. However, that was the only game I ever got to do with that entity because they didn't do any more taping of basketball games after that point. So that was my break into it. And then the next year, um, I started my own recording, if you want to call it, of the boys' games at Central. Plus, I uh, started doing the PA announcing for the girls' basketball games for their home games at the, at the school. So that's how I got started in it. How about when you made the move to Dayton, Ohio, back in the late 80s? Uh, see, my first job in, in journalism, I was the sports editor at the Urbana Daily Citizen. Started there January 1988. Um which was great because not only did I get to, to learn on the fly, basically of how to be a writer and sports editor at a, at a daily newspaper. It was six days a week. 
Um, but I also was able, um, in addition to covering the high school scene, and we had a local uh, four-year college in Urbana, Urbana University, um, cover all their games. During the summer, I was able to get down to River, then Riverfront Stadium and cover the uh, Reds. Um, got to go to two opening days with the, with the Reds in 88 and 89. And then in the fall of 88, I covered the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. In addition, I also did Ohio State because we had a young man, um, uh, Bob, Rob Rogan, who was uh, from Urbana, who um, played linebacker, started as a freshman at Ohio State. That was John Cooper's first year. But that year, you recall, and I'm sure you do, 88, that was the year that the Bengals went to the Super Bowl for the second time. So that was a, a lot of fun being able to cover that team. And that was the last time the Bengals made it. Hopefully, you know, with Joe Burrow coming in and many of these fixes they'll do over the past few or past uh, next seasons, uh, maybe another Super Bowl's in the cards for Cincinnati. But it's been a while for the Bengals, hasn't it? No, it's been a long while. And, uh, I will tell you, there were some characters on that team, but uh, also a lot of guys that were great to work with. And I'll say this, that uh, if you enjoy Chris Collinsworth calling NFL games now in the Sunday nights, he was a writer's dream interviewing him after a Bengals game. That guy, he was witty, funny, and very analytical in his uh, commentary. When did you get your first broadcasting opportunity in the Dayton area? Well, um, it, it, it was funny. Um, first broad, okay, first broadcasting opportunity was uh, uh, through some, of course, of some events. I lost a job in Urbana, um, got the job, um, uh, job writing uh, with Bowling Mormon newspapers. And in uh, January of 1990, I was named editor at the Enon Messenger, and one of the assignments was to um, do the cover of the sports and for Green High School. And they didn't have anybody doing the PA for the girls' games. They did for the boys, uh, but they didn't have anybody doing it for the girls. So I approached the AD out there, um, Bill Hill was his name, mm-hmm. and asked him if I uh, could do it, and. I did, and I uh, combined that about a year or so later with doing the boys' games as well, and uh, that was my first broadcasting or announcing opportunity in uh, sports in the Dayton area. From your time starting off at Binghamton Central to now, what are some of the sports that you've covered, either as a writer or a broadcaster or a PA announcer? (sighs) Let's see. Um, of course, the, the major four, football, basketball, baseball, and hockey, hockey being my favorite. I was very fortunate. I played for one season while I was in college um, at the University of Scranton, where I went to college, played the sport of hockey. Um, I've also have covered auto racing and uh, broadcast auto racing as well um, with the, the old Time Warner TV channel. Um and I've also uh, covered, from a writing standpoint, gymnastics, uh, wrestling, uh, let's see, tennis, golf, cross country, track and field, <laughs> a lot. 
And don't forget about indoor football as well. And indoor football. Yes, I forgot. Well, uh, yeah, indoor football and indoor soccer too. Dayton Dynamo. That's right. Back in the late 80s and 90s until 95 when they moved to Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Now, let's, so, talk, let's talk a little bit about auto racing because that's something that's not touched upon this podcast a lot. What's that like broadcasting it and writing about it? Well, uh, writing about it uh, and broadcasting, you know, of course, two different things. Um, I don't have a lot of experience from a writing standpoint, although I did uh, go to races at Shady Bowl Speedway when I was with the Urbana Citizen. Um, but broadcasting was really cool um, because when I was doing that, um, Time Warner TV and Kill Care Speedway and then Shady Bowl, um, about a year or so later after um, I started, was able to do the first one on uh, Kill Care, they did or hosted um, events in the old ARCA series, which was a minor league stepping stone to guys that um, had any thoughts of going on and racing in NASCAR. And I don't know if you remember the name of a local race car driver from Springfield, Bobby Bowser. Uh, great guy, um, very shy, I might add. Had a chance <laughs> to interview him a couple times, but uh, very good guy. And what was really exciting was the fact that being local, you know, Kilcare located uh, Zenia and Beaver Creek area in Springfield, just down the road, the very first race that I got to call of doing ARCA for Time Warner TV, Bobby Bowser won that race. Wow. He pitted late, um, took on fresh tires, and then passed everybody to take the lead uh, late in the race. And let me just say that the roar from that crowd was unbelievable. But I also know, too, that we had to broadcast from atop the roof at the scoring tower <laughs> and climb up the thing on a, on a um, ladder uh, about 20 feet up to the roof. Mm. That was, uh, that was interesting, <laughs> to, oh. but great perspective to, to watch the race from. So almost like the Panthers peak at twin Valley South's high school gymnasium. I don't know how much uh, or how tall that ladder is, but once you get up it, it's a beautiful view, but that's gotta be something really cool because a local Springfield native wins a race in the local area. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a great story in itself. Yeah. He, uh, it, it was, he was a good, a good guy. And, you know, he, uh, had visions, I think one day making it to NASCAR, unfortunately never had that opportunity, but, uh, it was cool. Now I will state that, uh, it was one thing to do a stock car event, quite another. We did a, uh, sprint car event, for the old Neymar's uh, midget series. Hmm. And let me just say that even on that uh, three eighths of a mile uh, oval at shade at the uh, kill care, I almost said shady well by accident. Uh, <laughs> those cars went around there very quick. And it, <laughs> it was a uh, real challenge to be able to do that. I imagine that they, but, uh, did they ever reopen Kill Care, or is that closed forever? I I don't know about forever, but I it is it is closed. Unfortunately, the only local Dayton area track where they run is Shady Bowl. Um, I do know they do at Eldora, which is uh, up a little bit further north. Unfortunately, I've never been there, 
And the track is owned by my favorite race car driver of all time, Tony Stewart. So <laughs> I would love to one day get up there and meet Tony. That's right. I mean, when you have a, a big star in NASCAR like Tony Stewart owning a track in the Miami Valley, that's that's pretty awesome. And it's something yep. that, you know, I don't know how many sports fans around here know about. No, and, and uh, one day I'll get up there to see a race from Eldora, but haven't been able to get there yet, so. Talk to me about the other sports that you covered. I mean, you pretty much listed all the ones I could think about, but uh, track and field, uh, wrestling, I heard. Tell mm-hmm. me some of the great stories, the great matches, and just the great stories you were able to write up in your time. Well, uh, one story that when you just said that come to mind wasn't a, a story that I wrote. Rather, it was a photograph I took at a uh, regional track and field meet. And it was at the uh, track complex at uh, at uh, Milton Union High School in West Milton and covered uh, four high schools in Champaign County, Urbana, uh, Graham, um, West Liberty Salem and Triad. And uh, I was doing the I think it was the, the lower division. It was the girls um, hurdles race, the hundred meter hurdles race. Mm-hmm. And. I, you know, position myself near the start finish line where I get a look going back up the track. And I was very fortunate to catch one of the runners from triad as she was clearing a hurdle, a bubble. She was chewing uh, bubble gum and oh. she blew a bubble right as she went over the hurdle. Oh, man. that was a cool. Now I will state it was cool. It was nice. It did turn out a little bit blurry, but still and all, that was kind of a neat thing. I mean, hey, when you have runners going that fast, and back then I'm not sure how well cameras were able to catch sporting events like that, but still, that's that's pretty cool. Yep, that, that it was. And the uh, coach uh, for Triad High School wanted a copy of that because he was always telling that girl, See, I told you you do that. You shouldn't do that. It interferes with your breathing. That <laughs> <laughs> had photographic proof. <laughs> this this so. is you running track. This is you running track while chewing gum. Any questions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin, but what anyway? Um, what sports season do you look forward to the most? You cover a lot of stuff, and like me, you work year round. What's your favorite sports season, and why? Well, I'm going to say I have two favorites. You know, nothing against football. High school football in Ohio is like none other in the, in the United States. Now, I never experienced it in Texas or Florida, and I've heard it's big there. Um, you know, my home state of New York, it, high school football is big, but not near the way it is here in Ohio. But my two favorites are the winner because of hockey, and summer because of baseball. Um, I have been a almost near lifelong baseball fan. I started following baseball in the summer 1969. Of course, that was the year of the Miracle Mets. Mm-hmm. And my dad told me after I rooted for the Mets to win that World Series that in his house were Yankee fans. And then after that, we started going to Yankee Stadium. So. <laughs> that wasn't a bad trade-off, I don't think. No. But uh, but hockey, of course, because that's a sport that I played growing up and played in college and uh, had the 
wonderful opportunity to have uh, been able to be the broadcaster for two uh, minor league pro teams here in the Dayton area, the Bombers and the Gems. So, Talk to me about your experience with the Dayton Bombers and Gems. Well, uh, Dayton Bombers, it, like I said, I was uh, um, broadcasting with Time Warner TV, and the producers, directors told me they were going to start doing the Gems games. And they needed somebody to provide color. The main play-by-play announcer was going to be uh, Gary Lowe, who was the radio broadcaster for the Bombers at the time. Mm. Now, mind you, this was in the early 90s at Hare Arena. Mm. And um, I did the color uh, analysis of those games. And in the very next season, Gary was let go. The Bombers did not have a radio broadcasting deal that last year they played at Hera and I was able to be moved into the play-by-play seat and uh, followed the bombers over to um, the Nutter center and did them for a couple of years. And then in the uh, uh, 2000, 2001 season, um, I was able to be the radio broadcaster for the bombers and got to travel around the country. And uh, I will state that uh, having been able to broadcast professional hockey and travel with the teams, I have seen places in this great country of ours that I know otherwise I probably would have never been able to see, and including probably my favorite place that I visited was uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, and got to visit Mount Rushmore. Very nice. And that was during... Was that during the Bombers days, or is that the no, Gems? That was the Gems, and uh, uh, the Gems played the Rapid City Rush in the first round of the uh, playoffs, and uh, that would have been the 2010-2011 season. So that we visited uh, out there in South Dakota in uh, late March, early April of uh, 2011. So you got to see the Bombers when they were closing out their era at Hare Arena and making the move to Wright State University's Nutter Center. What was the switch like? Um, well, I know that there's a lot of people that have emotional attachments to, to Hare Arena just because that's where hockey was born in the Dayton area back in the 60s. And the crowds at Hare were, were great. Um, Unfortunately, there were circumstances that uh, authored in the bombers moving from there to the Nutter Center. And unfortunately, the crowds never got to the point of filling up the Nutter Center like they did at at here. There were a couple of games that they did have big crowds out there, which, uh, you know, was very nice and very loud and boisterous and all that. But uh, while the amenities for the team were great out the Nutter Center. Just the fact that you had this huge uh, seating bowl that uh, could not get filled like it did at Hera, um, you know, kind of was disappointing a little bit. I forget if it was you that told me this, but I think the only time the Bombers sold out the Nutter Center was when Dale Earnhardt Jr. was in town. Yep, and that was certainly was the case. And uh, unfortunately, that was not when I was... Uh, affiliated with with broadcasting any of their games but yep that was the only one and only time 
It's such a shame, too, just because the Bombers, you look at their history at Hare Arena, and it was hard to get a ticket while they were there. But then they moved to another center, which at the time, five, six years old, okay, maybe not built for hockey. It's more for basketball. You had to take out Section 200 of the stands. and But at the same time, that was that was a nice, nice new arena. And it, it's sad that it just didn't carry over to the other side of town. Right, very sad. But I will state that the uh, dressing room for the Bombers out there at the Nutter Center was unbelievable. Uh, top shelf, uh, probably on par with uh, with the uh, teams in the NHL. In fact, uh, NHL exhibition game out there, uh, start of the 2000 season. It was the very first game played in the state of Ohio by the Columbus Blue Jackets. They were playing the Nashville Predators. And because of doing games on Time Warner TV, I was the play-by-play announcer for that game. And that is by far my favorite moment in all of my days of broadcasting sports was getting to do an NHL game. Even though it was preseason, it doesn't count that way in my book. Hey, it's an NHL game. NHL is NHL. Yeah, I I made it to the show. (laughs) I forgot there was an NHL game there. I knew that the the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, did they play a couple preseason games during the days? I bet I couldn't tell you. I don't know, but it might might be the case, yep. But still, I mean, it's really, really cool. Kevin, are you familiar with the book Hockey in Dayton, A History of Pictures by Chuck Gabringer? No, I'm not. That's a that's a book I recommend if if you're interested. I got off Amazon, but I think it's from that book where it mentions the bombers were supposed to build like a practice rink where the Mills Morgan Pavilion is now. That's where Wright State's basketball teams practice. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder what would hockey be like if the bombers actually went through with that and built that practice rink. Well, I would think that it would have not have they they would have stayed out there of course there was talk in the late 2000s uh cost of a piece of former owner of the bombers of uh, putting an arena in downtown dayton uh, by the uh, convention center but uh, i think they would have stayed out there now would it have made any difference from a financial standpoint with the team i don't know i can't answer that but uh, it didn't happen it would have been nice um, but it didn't happen. And, uh, yep. It, it w- and I saw the plans for that facility, but, uh, didn't materialize. You know, I bet if that did happen, Beaver Creek would call that home and that would probably be a very rockin' hockey rink, but yeah. uh, going back to the book again, I can remember a passage in there. Like I said, I recommend this book wholeheartedly cause you're, you're a proud Daytonian and I love I love Dayton and the history on it. It's just they tried the downtown arena once before when the first Gems team was there, and it almost went through, and they would have been the Dayton Arrows, which is in the the AHL, now known as the Iowa Wild. But what would happen to Dayton sports if we had an AHL team stick around? Well, uh, not to um, throw a monkey wrench in there, but did you know that that team was supposed to be in the World Hockey Association, which was a challenger to the NHL and the Dayton Arrows uh, franchise for the WHA moved to Houston 
and uh, family by with the last name of Howe played down there in Houston. Gordy with sons Marty and Mark. And what would that have been like if Gordy Howe would have played in Dayton in the WHA? I have no idea, but I, I could probably guess we'd have uh, a lot more hockey to talk about back then. <laughs> yeah. But there you go. It, it didn't happen. And uh, so, and uh, that, if I remember correctly, the thoughts and plans um, to build that were also incorporated into being an arena for the University of Dayton basketball team, too. What would that but be like? I I, well, I, UD Arena is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And and it's a great place to watch a basketball game. You know, what would it have been like? I don't know. But uh, so anyway, that's uh, one of those woulda, coulda, shoulda things. So. I mean, if you think about it, the Flyers playing downtown, and that's that's not terribly far from the campus, but it's not terribly close like UD Arena is. Man, what would that be like? And would the Flyers have a new arena today if they went downtown? Because there's not a lot of teams that play downtown. No, that makes uh, sense. No, but uh, um, a lot of people that follow University of Kentucky basketball team may not know that Rough Arena is in downtown Lexington. It's not at the campus. That's right. I forgot about that. But so anyway. I think it would have been successful and they would have, uh, you know, had the red scare crowd just like they do now at the uh, UD arena. <laughs> oh yeah. They're, they're a loyal bunch. I mean, think so. about it though. If the going back to the downtown arena again, if you know, the flyers had a varsity hockey team, you know, bouting with Miami and Bowling green, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, it would, it would be. And, you know, forget Ohio State also playing college hockey as well in the state of Ohio. So That's true. That's three foes not too terribly far away. So, But uh, I can I could probably guess, I'll ask this question anyway, as someone that manages a paper, the one sport you'd like to cover and why? Well, um, I would have to say going back to, you know, talking about uh, high school football, um, doing that for, you know, covering high school sports. That would, that was a, a, a really, it, it's been fun to do that. Um, and being able to do it in a, uh, for a community publication, um, you know, that, that was really cool. And you, you know, that not only are the, uh, fans of the team going to be reading it, but moms and dads, players, coaches, you know, all those people are going to be reading what you state. And uh, if you they feel like you've made a mistake or not said something the way they would have liked it to, believe me, they will let you know. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've had my fair share of that over my career as well. But so. I, I, I bet it'd be nice if you got to cover ice hockey, but the problem is, especially in that area, there's not a lot of high schools that carry the sport. No, not, not here in Northwest uh, Montgomery County. Now it's, it's big in Troy, mm-hmm. um, Kettering, Beaver Creek, um, those areas, uh, Springboro, but uh, not over here this way, um, high school football and basketball. And uh, even with the uh, Brookville wrestling programs, pretty, pretty big over this way too. 
Yes, they are. They uh, they regularly have some uh, great wrestlers in that Blue Devils program. They're in the yep. uh, Greater Miami Valley Wrestling Association Holiday Tournament, so I get to see some Blue Devils. And there's a couple that bouted for championship spots. I remember last year or yep. yeah, last season. And, so, yep. And uh, for with the Brookville Star, we have a wonderful contributor who you know, does it gratis for for us covering wrestling, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Dr. John Rhodes, who's a dentist here in Brookville and uh, grew up uh, over in Beaver Creek. Uh, in fact, he even wrestled at Ohio State and oh, his nice. dental office is a shrine to Ohio State athletics. Very nice. Uh, does he have that same office with Dr. Valentine? Do you know? No, no, there's okay. sep- two separate locations, but it's very close to uh, to where Dr. Valentine's office is, though. See, that was my dentist back then and. You know, there was some Ohio State stuff. I didn't remember they shared the office or not, but that's 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 pretty cool, and that's neat to have in Brookville, Ohio, U.S. Yep. of A. Yep, yep. Uh, Doc Rhodes is I call him Doc. He is bleeds red and uh, scarlet and gray. Uh, you almost said to, red. I know. I thought I said red. I'm sorry. <laughs> I corrected myself there. But yeah, he he's a big big Buckeye fan. So anyway. Let's get back to your career, and okay. it's very—it's a very long career. And this question is, you know, it covers a lot of people. But some of your favorite athletes, games, and venues, as someone that has been in sport. Well, um, venues uh, with high school, and then just recent couple of years ago, uh, doing college football uh, i've had the opportunity to have broadcast in 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 some big time college football stadiums and nfl facilities um ohio stadium when i was broadcaster with uh on uh, wswr huber heights doing the wayne warriors and uh got to do it there also got to uh, broadcast a game up at uh, fawcett stadium up in uh, canton Hmm. Um, I, I guess what it's Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium now. Yeah, but um, but right there next to the Hall of Fame, and uh, also had the opportunity to broadcast a couple of times down at uh, Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati, and then just recently uh, with a friend of mine, gentleman you know, uh, Doug Brown, helping him with Central State University football broadcast, got to do a game over at Lucas Oil Stadium. Mm-hmm. Now, when we were over there, they put us in the same room where the TV cameras go into when they're, you know, they're for an NFL broadcast. And it was four stories straight down to the first level. Ooh. And if you had vertigo, you were in trouble in that broadcast booth. Yeah, four stories, <laughs> man. Hope you're not afraid of heights. But then again, I guess it could be worse. I, I assume... At Lucas Oil, they have catwalks up there. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, but I, we, you know, rode the elevator up and and all that, so we didn't have to cross any catwalks high above the field. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. But that's still cool. You got to call um, a game there, the home of the Colts, and that was the Circle City Classic, wasn't it? Yep, yep. Um, it was, and it was uh, against uh, um, Central State's big rival, Kentucky State. That's a great rivalry, isn't it? 
Oh yeah. Big, big rivalry. And, uh, uh, it was just great being over there and, you know, not that far away and, uh, able to call a game from over there. So those are some big time venues. Yep. Big time venues. But, uh, I'll say too, not, uh, to, you know, answer something you didn't ask, but, uh, we're talking about the opportunities and games. Um, when I was in college, I was broadcaster on the radio station at the university of Scranton. Mm-hmm. And I remember the call letters W Y R E were your radio's edge. Hmm. Uh, and <laughs> sticks in my memory, but, uh, in my junior year, it was, uh, the spring of 1983, the university of Scranton played for the men's division three national title. And wow. we, it was played at uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan at Calvin college and seminary and, and Michigan and, uh, got to go out there and broadcast that game. So I've got to call a national championship game at the college level and an NHL game. So those are two big, uh, big, uh, good memories to have from broadcasting. Let's swing over to baseball. Now, mm-hmm. how did you wind up with the Dayton dragons? Well, uh, good friend of ours too, in the broadcasting circles, Tom Michaels, um, he was, you know, good friends with Tom Nichols, who is the longtime broadcast voice for the Dayton Dragons. And Tom asked him, this is back, uh, uh, would have been the five years ago now to start of the 2016 season. Of course, you know, four years by calendar year, but mm-hmm. it's five seasons ago. Um, but they were, uh, starting the use a, uh, computer program to track, the stats for minor league baseball. Um, they had used this program it's called the game day program at the major league level. It uh, is all operated through major league baseball, though they have a staff assigned to the minor minor leagues now, but anyway, they were starting at the start of the 2016 season. And um, Tom Nichols asked Tom Michaels, if he'd like to do that. And Tom uh said, you know, bowed out graciously said that he just didn't think with all his scheduling that he could uh, commit to doing that and had gotten in touch with me and uh, gave me Tom Nichols phone number, called him up and uh, well, the rest is history at the end of last year, completed year number four with the uh, Dayton Dragons as the data casting stringer for the game day program. And I can't think of any better way to lead off this question. What's a computer? I mean, what's a stringer? Um, well, the information you put into the program, you input, of course, it's all what the official scorekeeper at the game states is, you know, how the result of the play is recorded and all that. Um, you enter it into the computer into what is in tech jargon, I believe, a string. Mm-hmm. And you enter it all in. There's, you know, depending on the play, um, several steps you have to go into and, uh, you enter it in and that's where the term stringer comes in because that's what you're doing. You're stringing in the information. You know, I did question why they call it a stringer and basically it's an online scoreboard for those that can't make it. They can follow along on stats like Mm -hmm. collegiate sports have nowadays and maybe some high end high schools. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and that's what the the official box score for the game is generated from, and all the stats inputted. So, it, it's pretty important that you get it right. And 
as you well know, if uh, things don't look right or seem kosher, we get a visit up there in the booth to make sure we're, we're told that it should be corrected. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it's it's a great job. I mean, you yeah, and I work together, and you know we have the official score in there, so we have three people, and we're pretty much right behind home plate at Day Air Ballpark. Yeah, and, to be at a, a professional baseball game, in the summer, you're working, you're, you know, earning a little extra money and you're on a, you know, at a ballpark on a nice summer night. It doesn't get any better than that. No, I mean, the last four years, we're talking about the Dragons making the playoffs in 2017. And that's the only playoff trip that we've seen Dayton do. But at the same time, I mean, there's been some good baseball at formerly Fifth Third Ballpark. Fifth Third Field, excuse me. Yep, that's West Michigan. Sorry, but uh, yeah, Fifth Fifth Third Field in uh, Dayton. I mean, do you remember some of your favorite dragons that you watched over the years? Uh, well, um, I was very fortunate. Of course, going back to the days with Time Warner TV, uh, the very first year with the Dragons, the 2000 season. Um, of course, that was a day with Austin, Kern, the team with Austin Kearns, Adam Dunn, um, et cetera. And we were we did a couple of games during Austin Kearns streak where he hit what seven or eight games with hitting a home run. I think so. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was really cool. Um, really cool doing that. And uh, what it was was um, uh, they had a couple of the broadcasters that did uh games with the, with another um, broadcast entity, but they needed somebody on the TV side um, to uh, tell the truck. Now that the official term is Chiron operator, that's the program that puts the stats on the TV screen you see. Mm-hmm. And I would communicate with that person who was in the, the uh, production truck, um, you know, tell them, uh, you know, who's coming up to start the inning. They've done what throughout the game etc. like that. And if there was a, uh, you know, official scoring decision or whatever would pass that along. And, uh, that's what I did. That was the first year that, uh, the, for the dragons and, uh, got to spend that summer there. But, um, those two guys, Willie Mopania got to see him play there with the dragons. And, and of course, most recently, um, Jose Siri, uh, what a great run he had a couple of years ago. Um, how many straight games did he hit in to set the, the record? Um, and uh, Hunter Green, uh, seeing the scoreboard flash 100 miles an hour plus when he pitched was unbelievable uh, for a guy to, to be able to do that. So anyway. I mean, everyone said that the 102 was the fastest pitch, but I can remember when Chapman was rehabbing in Dayton. I swear he hit 105. And this is when the old scoreboard was still up, and they only had two digits on the uh, miles per hour. So it said <laughs> 05. Wow, that's the fastest five-mile-an-hour fastball I ever did see. But I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up. I don't know. I thought. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Jose Siri, who's no longer in the Reds organization, uh, that was a former Dragon I enjoyed watching. Uh, there are many others. We got to see Nick Senzel there with the Dragons, yeah, that, who figures to be uh, prominent with the Reds this year. So, 
Absolutely. Uh, that 2016 season, there wasn't a lot of positive points, and the Dragons were only three losses away from 100 on the season. But at the same time, since L comes in and just you know delivers yeah. that, uh, th- I think they stuck him at third base primarily. Yep, yep. third base. Yep. Trying to think of any other Dragons. Uh, some that are still in the Meyer League circuit, and I think could be positive future Reds. I think Stuart Fairchild's got a nice shot. He's a great outfielder, good bat. Um, Jonathan India, we saw, what was that, last year? Or was that the year before? The year before. I can't keep my season straight. I mean, this year would have been my 10th year with the Dragons doing scoreboard. But, you know, we always said coronavirus kind of wiped that out. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, did you see a while back that the Reds cut like 48 uh, minor league players and there was a lot of current of what should have been current and former dragons. That was, that was a lot. Yeah. They're, they, unfortunately with uh, the, you know, COVID-19, there's been a lot of changes in a lot of industries and stuff. And uh, with minor league baseball, there were a lot of players that uh, were, were cut. Now, Maybe coming up next year, you know, some of those guys will, you know, have a chance to play again. Well, you know, that remains be will remain to be seen. But uh, yeah, it it was sad. But uh, you know, unfortunately, professional baseball is a business, and in any business, people do lose their jobs from time to time. So, what's your take on minor league baseball shredding forty teams coming next year? that is going to be hard for a lot of communities. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a great, uh, I don't know if we're allowed to mention um, uh, sports publication, but there was a great story. Uh, sports Illustrated, is that okay to mention that? Yeah, that's fine. There was a great article back a couple of weeks ago about the state of minor league baseball and uh, was talking about that very fact that there's communities and teams that are slated to be um, cut when uh, they contract minor league baseball but um, just for fans to note to listen to this podcast uh, I do not expect the Dayton Dragons to be one of them no, when no. they mentioned in that story that the uh, franchise value uh, estimated franchise value for the Dragons is $45 million and that's at the same level with teams at the AAA level and there's very few AAA teams that have franchise values that high. And that just shows you that uh, the Dragons, 20 straight years of nothing but sellouts, um, the connection that the Dayton community has to that franchise and the players over the years. Um, but uh, for the communities that do lose their teams, it's going to be very tough because a lot of communities, um, you know, that's the thing to do in the summertime. And uh, it's going to be sad because, you know, people losing jobs, not just the players, but people work at the stadiums, um, you know, families that host players during the season, um, all that. It, it, it's going to be hard in a lot of places. You mentioned already Dayton is safe from this axe, but there's a couple Midwest League teams that aren't. And I think all but one Iowa team is scheduled to get the axe. And I think Cedar Rapids is the only safe team. Clinton, Burlington, and Quad Cities are on that list of teams to get uh, get the boot out. Yeah, I, 
I could answer for that. I, you know, don't know the list, but uh, quite possibly could be and uh, won't be 14 teams in the Midwest League come uh, when they do get to play again. I will also say, too, they're talking about reclassifying some of the uh, teams as well into different, uh, I guess it'd be different classes, Class A. Yeah, Uh, I don't know why I couldn't think of that word for a minute, but uh, Dayton might get a chance to jump a level or two. Who knows? But yeah, who knows? The Dragons are here to stay in Montgomery County, and that's a nice thing. Yep, they they are going to be here to stay. So, Kevin, speaking of sports, how has this coronavirus affected you? Well, I mean, other than. not being able to uh, get out and do some of the things I enjoyed to do. Um, one of the things that uh, I do enjoy uh, doing when I'm not involved with a newspaper or, or broadcasting or, or writing about a sporting event is uh, going to the movies. I, a friend of mine, we enjoy going to the movies and uh, have been able to do that since March. And uh, that's been kind of hard, but uh, um, you know, just getting through it, taking the steps we need to do to stay safe. Um, you know, I have not known anybody close and personal that's been affected by it, but I do know people who have, you know, family members and stuff and, uh, um, you know, I feel for them and feel for what the, those people have had to go through. Do you see the dragons taking the field at all in 2020? I know I, I don't, um, now, it's not heard anything official stating this, but um, I could state probably with pretty good certainty that without having fans at the major league level, it would be very hard for the major league teams to be able to afford all the way down through what they'd have to pay to uh, field minor league teams. So I don't see it happening at least this year. But next year, certainly do look forward to being able to go back to the ballpark. Sticking with the same topic, do you see high school sports coming back in the fall? Yes, I do. Um, Just the very fact that uh, um, the high schools are able to do conditioning for um, the fall and, uh, you know, some of the winter seasons, maybe not uh, competitively playing games like you know, with basketball, with the AAU programs, et cetera, um, you know, and a lot of um, uh, youth uh, baseball and softball leagues have uh, had their seasons cut and stuff. But I do see uh, high school sports coming back now with what protocols in place that I do not know. Um, you know, will they be, will there be fans? Will there be, you know, limits on attendance? Will there be, um, you know, people being asked to sit every other row in the bleachers. I don't know, but I do see it coming back um, in the fall. Um, but, uh, you know, I, it, to what it's going to look like, that I couldn't tell you. And sticking with high school sports, like I mentioned in the opening, you are the managing editor of the Brookville Star. What high schools do you get to cover with the newspaper? Well, um, here with the Brookville Star, of course, we cover Brookville, Brookville High School, the Blue Devils, but we also cover uh, schools in our in our regional area, which is uh, Twin Valley South, Tri County North, and uh, Dixie out of New Lebanon. 
And also, too, we uh, added in the Inglewood area to the Brookville Star uh, coverage area um, a year ago. So we cover Northmont as well. And, um, you know, we've got some got some good programs and maybe not all the same sports, but uh, good programs, good athletes, uh, good schools and people to work with. Um, you know, got good people here with the star that uh, do the sports riding. So it's kind of funny. The more north and east you go, the bigger the schools are. Because you mentioned uh, South, North, and Dixie; those are small schools in the Preble County and New Lebanon area. Uh, Brookville, and then Northmont, a very big school district up in the Northern Montgomery County area. Yeah, and uh, know that district well because I uh, reside in Inglewood, have since uh, 2007. So good, good school up there, uh, run by good people. You know, good people that I know that uh, run that school district. So it's a very nice area too, Inglewood. Yep, very nice area, uh, very nice place to 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 live too. I think it was someone that I worked at Wright State told me this, but Northmont is short for Northern Montgomery County. And once I realized that, it's like, whoa. Yep. Uh, there were a couple different, uh, I don't know the exact history. I know there are people that do, but the exact history of that school district, but there were separate high schools for both uh, the Ingalls, Randolph Township schools, mm-hmm. um, the old O.R. Edgington building which was at an elementary school it's uh, no longer there um but the, the stadium there that's where the uh, northmont youth football teams play um that was this high school and then there was a high school in phillipsburg and i don't know when that was all combined but uh, to come with a common name that fit the area and all that yep northern montgomery county is how they got the northmont when i realized that's like whoa uh, I think on the history in the name, they took the colors from Randolph Township School, the Bobcats, and I forget how they got the Thunderbolts, but it's a really cool name. And it's yep. probably one of the more unique names in terms of uh, mascot names in Southwest Ohio. Yep. Uh, yeah, Thunderbolt, that is a, it is a cool nickname and uh, cool logo too with that uh, block in with the uh, lightning bolt going through it. I will say the football helmets, the last ones they had with the San Diego uh, Charger bolt on it, those are my favorite. The new ones, they're fine, but it's just the logo's kind of hard to see it in the dark. But yeah, that that's me nitpicking on logos. But it does lead up to my next question. You're covering an area that's you know facing conference changes. Northmont, uh, they lost uh, GWACFO and Lebanon to the Eastern Cincinnati Conference. Uh, you know about the cross-county conference dissolving after 2020-2021. And the SWBL, the home of the Brookville Blue Devils, they're losing some of these schools too. Uh, the Western Ohio Athletic Conference and the Three Rivers Athletic Conference. My question is, what are you, what is your opinion on all the changes in the conferences? And do you see it stopping anytime soon? Stopping, I, I that I I I can't answer, um, but I do know that a lot of uh, changes that have happened, um, especially with the uh, with the the G Walk with the Miami Valley League forming out of uh, out of that, um, a lot of that was based upon um, some enrollments. Um, you had in the G Walk, you had a great 
uh, enrollment disparity from your top level school all the way down to the bottom. And it was very unfortunate that, uh, you know, you had schools with uh, enrollments, you know, 1,500, 2,000 kids competing against schools that, you know, may have had a couple hundred. Um, now, you'd like to say that that really doesn't matter, but it, it does in some in some aspects uh, financially and and, uh, and size of uh, programs and ability to have participants in your program. But, uh, you know, it, it's changed. Um, I remember um, back in the day when the uh, Western Ohio League and the Greater Miami Valley Conference formed, became the uh, Greater Western Ohio League um, or Greater Western Ohio Conference. Um, you know, it, they changed the landscape much like, you know, in college athletics, we've seen college conferences change over the years. Um, you know, it happens, things settle down, and uh, you hope that, uh, um, you know, things can stabilize. Um, I know back in my home state area after uh, uh, I left high school, and it happened when I was still in uh, in college, but uh, the league affiliations – uh, specifically for the sport of football, uh, all dissolved. They went where this is when New York uh, decided to adopt a state playoff system. Um, and, you know, up until just recently, um, they didn't have a state playoff system. You played your nine game regular season. And then if you were lucky, you played a playoff game or intersectional game against uh, a team from another conference. And that was a sectional championship game. And that was it. But they adopted the state playoff system. And uh, every year, state championships in New York are played at the Carrier Dome, where the Syracuse University uh, Orange play. Um, and, you know, kind of neat right in the middle of New York State to draw from. But um, they did away with football with conference affiliations and just went with sections. Now, of course, it's all it's all predicated by enrollment size and class A, B, C, D, but still in all, you don't have a league championship. You're playing for a sectional championship with the, that champion moving on then to the, uh, the state playoffs. So there's different ways of doing it, but uh, you know, looking back in my high school experiences and stuff um, when I was a freshman, um, our football team and boys basketball team won league titles and it was always cool to be able to say we were the it was called the an acronym was called stack was southern tier athletic conference but we're stack champions and it was kind of cool to be able to say that to friends or people you might meet from a, another community so what's your opinion on the changes that are going to happen i mean south north and dixie are going to be in the same league in the western ohio athletic conference Brookville's staying put in the Southwestern Buckeye League, and Northmont's going to stay put in the G-Walk. Um, well, it, from perspective with Brookville, they'll lose the longtime rivalry with Dixie. I mean, that is a long-time rivalry. And in the, the basketball season, um, the start of the every basketball season, uh, they they have a whole day in the early month, the early part of the month of December, where you have the boys and girls varsity teams, the 
reserve teams and the freshman teams from both schools all get together for a uh, six game uh, day of basketball. And, you know, it, it, it draws people from all over the, com- the two communities and New Lebanon and Brookville aren't that far apart. And it's, it's kind of neat, but um, you know, hopefully that tradition will be able to continue. Um, but uh, you know, losing Dixie as a partner for Brookville, uh, you know, it's going to be something that's going to be tough. Uh, of course, Tri-County North Twin Valley South, they're going to stay together. So, you know, they've been rivaled. Of course, that's also a school district that used to be one school district instead of two many years ago. And you probably remember those days. Well, I was born when it was already Tri-County North. So okay. I, okay. But okay. Uh, I, I've heard I've heard the stories, and I, I think – when it was just Twin Valley, all the athletic complexes were in West Alex. And if you lived in Lewisburg, that means you got that nice hike down 503 to get down <laughs> yeah. to West Alex. Yeah. I but, mean, that, uh, that's, that's not a bad hike. It's just, you know, it seems kind of long cause there's, there's hills and farms and that's kind of it until you get to West Alex. But uh, anyway, yeah, we'll, you know, a lot of things with these, conferences in the league or league affiliations uh when they settle down we'll we'll see what uh, what all unfolds but uh you know losing some traditional rivalries for some communities that might be a little tough hey kevin what are some of your favorite things about sports in dayton ohio well um i will say that sports in dayton um Can't remember. I can't remember the song, but uh, there's a song. Or town's not big. It's not small, but it's uh, triple A or something. Um, but you know, Dayton. It, you know, it's it's a nice, you know, uh, good size metro area. But you have the small community sports field with the the minor league teams that have played here and been, I've been able to uh, to to witness and be affiliated with too and, and work and broadcast for and cover games but you also have a uh, you also have a major uh, sports field too with you know Cincinnati just down the road um, with you know the Reds and Bengals um, and then uh, Columbus not that far away either you know with Ohio State and, you know, of course, UD with the, the national following that they have with basketball and, you know, national games and teams that have come into UD Arena to play throughout the uh, through the many years. So it, it's both got a small town feel and a big town feel to it. And I think that 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 has its pluses on many levels. And, you know, it, it's a good sports community too. Uh, one people are very passionate, very knowledgeable about their sports and, uh, Let's just say that uh, depending on uh, which way you might sit in some rivalries, um, you you do pay a little price when uh, you might root for a team that may not be the favorite in the local area. <laughs> and I I have uh, discovered that through uh, teams that I follow in the college level and that at the pro level. So, <laughs> what would you like to see in the future for sports and media in Southwest Ohio? Well, if if I had my druthers, um, I would like to see the uh, advent of pro hockey coming back to date. I think that this community can support it. I know that when 
um, the bombers in the left and in the gyms left, there were talk that, you know, Dayton's not a hockey community. Well, if it's promoted right and done right and people are able to connect and follow it, I think that this is a good community for minor league pro hockey. Um, we've had good followings with teams in the past. I think we can have it again in the future. Um, so I, I would like to see that come back. Um, as far as media, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, we've got uh, good television coverage of sports here in this area with the, with the, uh, the TV stations we have, of course, being involved in newspapers. I think we do a very good job with uh, not just the Brookville star, but with uh, a media too, which is our parent company. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think it's a, it been a good community sports wise. It's just one that I've enjoyed. And I will also say I'm very blessed and very fortunate to have been able to uh, be a part of it and be able to work in it too. For those that want to become a journalist or a broadcaster, what advice can you give? If you, if you have a dream, you know, don't give up, try it out. Um, if you want to be a broadcaster, you may have to look for some opportunities, maybe at your uh, local youth leagues. You know, if they have a public address system, you might uh, see if you can get involved with uh, doing that. And, and uh, I've done it with uh, some youth leagues around the area, and it, it's very enjoyable. Um, in fact, I had a young man just last week. I uh, was out for uh, for a walk. I like to take a walk. Uh, no, I don't say you get to do it every day, but I like to take them very frequently. And I was out taking a walk uh, just around uh, uptown Brookville. And a uh, young man, I didn't know who he was. And I didn't really recognize him. He said, are you coming back to announce our games again? And I said, uh, for, and he said, for the uh, Brookville uh, Wee Devils youth football team. And I said, well, I, you know, I hope to. And he said, well, you're my favorite announcer. I tell you what that, you know, cause I, I don't do it for myself, uh, do it for the kids. And that just cemented for me, you know, why I do it. But, you know, if you got a dream to do it, give it a shot, try it out. Um, you know, look for different entities. Uh, you may not be able to do it tr uh, in a traditional way right off the bat. Um, you know, look for ways you could do it. And, you know, for my, a writing or journalism standpoint. Um, if you, if you like going to games, like to, uh, athletics, um, in your, you know, local uh, publication may not, um, cover your team, go to the, the editor or sports editor for that publication, see if they, um, might want you to contribute a story from a game or from a school, um, may not be every single game, but, uh, you know, time to time or weekly or whatever, um, get your foot in the door, um, you know, and see where it takes you from there. Um, you know, I did it back when I was a junior in high school. Of course, I was also sports editor for the uh, school newspaper, too, for two years. And, uh, you know, it's taken me 40 plus years uh, through the years and uh, um, here in the Dayton area since uh, 1992 of being able to broadcast uh, sports. So, it's, it's been fun. It's been, it's been, uh, you know, real. And I've met a lot of great people, including yourself, Lee, over the years doing it. Uh, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate the kind words. 
And to wrap up this episode, how can people follow your work and you on social media? Well, um, social media, I'm on Facebook, um, but I will state I don't know how to give out the the uh, logins for all that other than, you know, you can you can search my name. And, if you know, uh, if you want to become a friend, do it that way. Uh, we do have a, uh, um, you know, website with the uh, with the Brookville Star, um, brookvillestar.net. Uh, our stories are posted there every week. So, uh, you know, that's how they can follow us if they want. And from a social media standpoint. Kevin, thank you so much for giving me some time today and talking little sports here on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Lee, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun, Kevin. Thank you again, and that will do it. This is episode 166 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Kevin O'Boyle, and we hope you'll join this podcast again for episode 167. for listening to another episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com spelled T-H-E-L-E-E-W-M-O-W-E-N.com then click on podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way to catch new episodes of this podcast such as on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, the iHeartRadio app, Pandora, and many more platforms. Follow along on social media by liking the Facebook page, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, and follow along on Twitter at SindayPod and the Lee W. Mowen. Feel free to send in future questions for Mowen's Mailbag on Twitter or Facebook. The closing theme was created with the Splash app, available for free on Google Play and the App Store. This is Lee W. Mowen signing off. Let's talk local Cincinnati and Dayton sports again on the next episode.